Hey everybody and welcome to the first Ruby Rogues podcast. Uh, today's panel is made up of James Edward Gray, uh, Aaron Patterson, Peter Cooper, David Brady, and Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood. Um, if you don't know these guys, I'm going to give you a brief introduction. Uh, James has been in the Ruby community for a long time. He's uh, he, he was in charge of the Ruby quiz. He also wrote Faster CSV. And uh, he, he helps out in the community in a lot of ways. He also uh, is, is one of the organizers of the Red Dirt Ruby Conference. And so uh, welcome, James. Thank you. Uh, we also have Peter Cooper. Uh, Peter Cooper is... Uh, you can find his stuff at peterc.org, and he's on Twitter as Peter C as well. He's the the force behind Ruby Inside, Ruby Flow, Ruby Weekly, and he also wrote the beginning Ruby book for A Press. And he just moved into a new office. I did. You like it? Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, I just I guess I just wanted to suffix everything you've just said there. By I like to think myself as uh, Ruby's version of Michael Arrington, but just not as successful and not as charming, <laughs> obviously. So, <laughs> if one of us is Ruby's version of Leo Laporte, are we going to have a falling out here? Oh, <laughs> nice. Oh yeah, and the Ruby show. Okay, new well. rule: none of us gets to be uh, Leo Laporte. Okay. Uh, and, and that was David Brady. David is a developer that I've actually met in person. I've, In fact, I think I've met all of you except for uh, Peter. Anyway, um, David is here local to me. He wrote the Tour Bus Library, which is a great tool for uh, testing and load testing your uh, application. And uh, he, he, he gets involved in a lot of things as well. I think one of my favorite things is his blog, heartmindcode.com. And he's actually done a couple of pod calls with uh, several people, and including some guy named James Edward Gray. And yeah. uh, anyway, <laughs> great, great it stuff. Was, it was a disaster, just like all the other calls. So I'm, <laughs> I'm consistent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then uh, last but not least, we have Aaron Patterson. He works for AT&T Interactive as an open source programmer. Um, he's the only person on the Ruby core team and Rails core team. And uh, he, he worked with Mike uh, Delasio as uh, the, the Nokogiri developers. And you can find him on Twitter at Tenderlove. He is also our resident, what is it, mycology expert? He's our, <laughs> yes. <laughs> he, he's our mushroom guy. I, I'm so Rock glad on. we found one of those. <laughs> I know. We, we've been needing some mushroom help on this I, podcast. I need to talk to you later, Aaron. I've got this thing on my foot. Uh, I'll, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> I don't know about those kind of mushrooms, but uh, I'll see what I can do to help. <laughs> okay, so semi mycology. All right. Yes, I, I was going to say right now. We, we got to be careful about what kind of fungus we talk about here. <laughs> and that's practical mycology. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and I'm Charles Maxwood. Um, I do screencasts and podcasts uh, on various topics, um, most of them related to Ruby or or technology in general. Um, my main uh, place for putting up content is teachmetocode.com. So anyway, that's us. Yay! Yay. Awesome! Team Ruby activate. All right. <laughs> so let, let's go ahead and get into the topic at hand. We It, it kind of started out as a discussion over uh, test unit versus RSpec, but I, I, think, I think people are really just curious about what you do use and don't use for testing and why you do or don't use them. So let's just kind of everybody uh, chime in and, uh, and, and talk about what, what you're using and why. All talk at once. All right. 
let, let, let's start with Peter. Yeah, um, I guess because a lot of the stuff I have to do is a lot of reporting on stuff. I do do some client projects and things like that, but I have to kind of try everything because I have to write about it at some level or another. So I'm definitely not going to be one of the more opinionated people here today sort of saying, oh, I only use Test Unit, I only use RSpec and kind of like really defend that uh, just because I need to try so many different things just so that I you know, can give people a reasonable opinion on what I think about each one. Um, so I actually have used... All of I think well, like out of the main choices, I've used pretty much all of the different technologies for like one project here or there. Um, if I had to pick a personal choice, though, I think ideologically I prefer Test Unit just because of the well, actually all the reasons that DHH put forward really like to do with the you know it comes with it, it's you know it's more straightforward, it's you know all that kind of stuff. But then RSpec, I've used that as well. And, you know, there's some of that syntactic sugar is cool as well. So I use both, um, but not obviously on the same project because that would kind of suck. Right. Well, what about you, Dave? What are you using? Um, so I use, I, I'm a little bit like Peter. I'm kind of a testing gourmand. And um, I use whatever uh, the guy before me on the project set up because I'm lazy and I don't like to set up something new. Um, I'm going to come down on the opposite side of DHH just to, for the sake of controversy. I, I respect DHH and I like Test Unit. I have nothing against it. But I love Cucumber. I love RSpec. I've written uh -huh. Unit and I have written unit tests with Q oh somebody just hung up oh, that's awesome uh, so uh, no, I've written unit tests in Cucumber and it is every bit as tortuous and, and wrong headed as, as you might think but it's really uh, illustrative to kind of to see to break down actually write a unit test to see oh this is how Cucumber works and, and there is this extra layer of, of regexing and, and, and manipulating stuff this way but there is a not just a syntactic sugar but kind of an eloquence that, that, that comes out of your testing that I am I am desperate to sit with somebody that's really good at test unit um, to try and create that same kind of eloquence because I just can't do it in test unit and I can in RSpec and I definitely can in Cucumber and so my tests are much more readable I feel much more confident in what I'm giving to the end user with those tests um, so that's what I use I'm gonna I'm gonna insert a question for everybody else and we can bring it back around to Peter if we want as well which is that um, I committed a heinous, heinous, horrible crime and sin, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I think James is probably going to touch on this, but Tourbus has no tests, and uh, the reason why is because it's, it's a testing tool, and I'm not really sure how you test a testing tool. It's very meta. Um, the way I shipped it so that you could test it is I shipped an application with it. There's a, if you go down into Tourbus in the source code into examples contact app, there's a little Sinatra app that you can run and then you can run Tourbus and see that it tests this app and everything works well. Um, but I have no idea how to automate that. You know, I, and probably I could do it with Cucumber where I could actually go out of process and start the server and have something else test it. But I'm not sure on how to test that. So, uh, so that's my opinion. I like the higher level. I like the eloquent stuff, even though there is a little more cognitive load, a little more, uh, you know, some more things you have to remember that are there. But I find that it lets you say in one or two sentences what you mean, unlike the way I speak to people because I've been monologuing now for three minutes. But, um, but the, uh, the the advantage to it is that yeah, it lets you it lets you be very very elegant, very eloquent, and um, yeah, very interested to hear other people uh, find out. You know, how would you test like a web testing tool? Uh, I think we're going to come back to that. I, I want to get everyone's opinion on this, and, and then we can come back to that, because I think it is an cool. interesting thing to touch on. Cool. Um, James, what do you use to test? I usually use TestUnit, uh, just because it's 
in Ruby and I'm pretty lazy. Uh, so, you know, as far as uh, getting other things, I, I use RSpec quite a bit, mostly because I work on projects that have, you know, people set it up with RSpec, so I use that quite a bit. I do prefer test unit over RSpec, which I think is pretty rare. I, I know a lot of people prefer RSpec, but um, I like uh, test unit better because uh, one time I, ha I was teaching someone how to do tests, and I, I tried to teach them, I, I showed them test unit, I showed them RSpec, um, and some different features in them, and I can't believe how bad it went when I switched to RSpec, and, and it may be that, that I did a really bad job, I, I can accept that, but uh, what surprised me about it, the, the whole should syntax, with its magic and, and uh, you know, should dot equal equal and things like that, or, or things like uh, should uh, space be underscore include, you know, instead of include question mark and just calling the method. It, I basically fell off a cliff when I started trying to explain that to a programmer that, you know, was just getting probably intermediate level knowledge. And it, it was funny how much easier it was to explain testing it, where it was like, you just call these methods. You know, you wrote this method here, you call this method here, and you check if the result of that method is what you think it was going to be. Whereas when I was explaining the same thing in our spec, it was like, okay, you now use these three magical constructs to invoke that method that you just wrote. And I know it doesn't look the same, but it is the same, you know. And, mm -hmm. and I personally found that very difficult to um, mm -hmm. uh, explain to other programmers. But uh, at the same time, I do like things of our spec. I, obviously, I prefer the you know, being able to define context uh, and nest them and, and just put uh, simple strings in there instead of wearing out my underscore key when I, you know, name a long method name and test unit. So there are things I like about RSpec, but uh, the should syntax is one of the things I definitely don't. Um, and so I, I typically just use what's uh, with Ruby, although in, in uh, 1.9, uh, Ruby does come with... Uh, uh, mini test, uh, so I, I use that more now uh, than anything else, which is kind of a nice little uh, advancement on test unit, I think. Plus one. Uh -huh. <laughs> Interesting. And and you, Aaron, what are you using? Um, I use the test framework that provides me with um, maximum trolling ability. <laughs> so <laughs> whenever I enter into a project, if they're say using RSpec, I do my best to switch them completely to test unit. Or vice versa. What do you have installed on the production server? That's where I'm going to test. That's awesome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I have to mention, too, that it's close enough. Where I am, it's close enough to lunchtime now that I am having a Pabst Blue Ribbon for lunch to, enhance this, to enhance this podcast. Oh, man. You're lucky I just had lunch or I'd be jealous. <laughs> we may have to start a what are you drinking segment. <laughs> So okay, so typically I use um, I use test unit um, or actually I use mini test. I don't use test unit, and um, I don't know. I don't use I don't use RSpec because I find it to be too wordy, um, and I don't know. I just don't like it. It's not it's not for me. I am I used to be a Java programmer, so I enjoy X unit. Oh my God, did I say that? 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I please, was never. Please remove ever, him from the call. I was never ever a Java programmer. I've never done it in my life. <laughs> I don't so, understand the the religion that you just said there because X unit is test unit. They're identical. Uh, yeah, I use well. I don't use test unit. I use mini test, which okay. in one nine test unit is actually a subclass of mini test. So it's almost exactly the same. I mean, the only differences the only differences really are. Um, you get different assertions, and actually, one of the reasons I love mini tests is it does test randomization. So your tests are run in a random order, which means that you can't like. I, I'm sure you've been in a you've been in a situation where your application like one particular test fails in isolation, but when you run it with the suite, it works. Uh huh. Right, and that's typically because one test like set up some particular environment that another test depended on, and you didn't know that when you were writing the test. So since mini test runs the test in a random order, you can't uh, you can't make one test depend on another. Right. So you'll see you'll see an error case. I, I have a stupid question. Is is now the time for it, or should I wait for people to go through their their things? No, go ahead. I uh, think, my I think you're the only person who hasn't chimed in yet. So go ahead. Okay. So uh, my stupid question is, I, mini test would absolutely drive me completely up the wall if I had one random ordering that triggered the bug and none of the other ones do. So here's my stupid question: When my tests crash, can I tell mini mini test run that again, but do it in the same order? Yes, you can. When you okay. when you run when you run tests with mini tests, you'll see a debug output that tells you the seed that was the used. Seed. Perfect. Yeah, and you can just apply the seed when you run the tests. Cool. Kind of um, to add to some of the things Aaron just said too, um, uh, having learned a little mini test lately, there's some other neat things about it. Like um, it goes through and uh, there's all, all the positive methods are assert, you know, equal and things like that, uh, like they always have been. Uh, but the negatives are refute and then equal or things like that. And, and what's nice about that, uh, you know, whether or not you like the word or not doesn't really matter, but what's nice about it is it's consistent, whereas mm -hmm. with test unit, I'm always trying to guess the name of the opposite method, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. and, yeah. and I'm sometimes wrong about it, uh, whereas mini test is more consistent. And um, Ryan also added a feature to it uh, while he was at RubyConf, I think, called um, uh, bench Benchmark, is that right? Mini test Benchmark? Yeah, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, you can write you can write benchmarks in mini tests, which is pretty nice. Right, but there's also what's that new feature? It's got like a cert linear, and so you can yeah. Get, so you go ahead. Aaron. Sorry, go. Oh, so you can do fits. Basically, you can do fits. You say a cert linear, and then you provide it with a function, and it asserts that as the number of iterations grow, your performance should also stay linear. So let's say somebody implements a function, they change the function to be, you know, n squared or something like that, then hmm. this test will fail. Wow. That, that is really cool. It is cool. Yeah, we've been talking for 10 minutes and I'm almost convinced to switch over to mini-test. <laughs> Comes with well, Ruby one nine. Uh, yeah, yeah, the other cool thing the other cool thing too is if you like, like if you like the spec syntax, there's mini test, mini test spec, which provides most of the functionality that um, our spec provides. So you get, you know, describe blocks and it blocks and nested describes and all that stuff too. So you should check that out. 
All right, that, those definitely sound like things to look into. Um, I'm going to chime in real quick and, and mention what I've been using. I've actually been using RSpec, but I, I started out using TestUnit. People started talking about RSpec, and it was before I really got to know TestUnit. So it's funny, if you look back on my blog far enough, you'll find an article that says, I love the RSpec DSL is basically what it came down to. And there's a comment on there from David Chalimsky that actually says, yeah, but TestUnit has a cool DSL too. And I just didn't know about it at the time, but th that's why I switched to RSpec. And uh, I, I, the whole debate over RSpec versus TestUnit got me thinking, you know, why am I using one tool over the other? And I don't have a strong reason for using RSpec over TestUnit or Minitest, mm -hmm. but uh, I, I did uh, give up my cucumber habit. And, and that's primarily because um, I just started using Capybara in my tests directly. And uh, I, I found that it actually gave me like a two, two to three times speed up over writing the the cucumber tests and then figuring out how to get the regular expression to give me what I wanted. Interesting. And uh, you know, I, I think cucumber was useful when I had uh, stakeholders that cared what my specs look like. But I, I don't see that a whole lot with my clients. Most of them just want a website that looks nice and does what they want. So anyway, that that was one thing that that I thought was interesting whether or not to use Cucumber. Um, as far as test unit versus RSpec, I found that you know one's sweet flavor and one's a salty flavor, and I like one more than the other sometimes. So I haven't had a strong feeling for that, but it sounds like Minitest has got some cool features there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I, so I hate Cucumber. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> and I, I actually want to talk about why I hate Cucumber. God, I was going to ask that. Please, please. This call is going to go badly for me, I can tell. <laughs> go ahead, Aaron. It's not that I necessarily... It's not... No, go ahead. <laughs> it's not that I really hate it so much as... Uh, like, I think the idea is... I think the idea is cool. So, it's nice that you can write it out in kind of English, you know, English sentences, like, it does this, it does that, et cetera, et cetera. And, the, you know, you can show that to your stakeholders and whatnot. And I didn't really have too much of a, an opinion about Cucumber until I had somebody on my team writing Cucumber specs. And he was a QA guy and wrote, wrote some Cucumber specs, and everything was going fine until it didn't. So, he, he had a hard time. He couldn't figure out why some particular Cucumber spec was failing. And to debug that just killed me. Like, he couldn't figure out how to do it. It took me hours. I spent hours trying to debug a Cucumber failure, and that's, that's what really killed me. Mm -hmm. I always find it to be, like, one of the most ironic things in computing that people say things like, never ever try to parse a piece of HTML with regular expressions, and then they turn around and write cucumber specs. <laughs> Just basically write the identical thing. <laughs> it was what was cool what i did like about it though i don't want to say just all bad things about it what i did like about it is that we actually had qa guys who could just write out you know stories about stuff and run yes. them. that that was actually awesome the just my real main gripe about it was debugging the specs when they broke yeah Mm -hmm. That's and that's the the thing that I champion and just I just want to stand on my desk and just pound my chest and then pee on anybody that disagrees after I say it is that that we talk about being agile about having on-site customer about having stakeholders involved and the the arguments against cucumber will say you know it's a fantastic tool for getting stakeholders to the table but 
and then they spend the next five minutes completely dismissing the value of that and I'm like no 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 you don't understand that is so valuable and and I I agree with DHH that he 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 says he sees a lot of programmers using it and they're not showing their stakeholders and that's dumb that that really is dumb and if you are showing your stakeholders if you've got a marketing guy writing specs or if you've got the CEO if you're in a startup who you know he's a salesman and all of a sudden he realizes I can write my own uh, specs for how this thing works, the light goes on, and and it's just an amazing developmental tool. That said, yeah, it is. It's regexes all the way down, and and that part of it of the implementation, kind of kind of sucky. So I have to ask you then, Dave. Um, since since you've been using Cucumber, have you had a stakeholder actually get involved and start writing Cucumber specs? Yeah, Mike wrote them at Public Engines. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So do you find that that went? fairly well or did he regularly get you know off the tracks where the, the oh, all the time yeah all the right. time yeah the 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 cucumbers u- primary use case oh this is going to get sound bited oh <laughs> <laughs> cucumbers primary use case in my experience speaking as a guy who loves cucumber is that it is not that it gives you a document showing how the server is supposed to work, but it really throws the rubber on the road at all the misunderstandings between you and the stakeholders in the way that things should work. So Cucumber uh, is very, very painful to get set up and get working, and that's a feature. That absolutely is a feature because that pain is coming out of the misunderstandings between you and your customer. It's not it's not accidental pain. It's not accidental complexity. It's you're designing it wrong and you're implementing it wrong. You know your domain model stopped at the at the API and did not get carried internally, and that's why you're having a hard time writing these specs to make them cooperate. Wow. Yeah, but it just it sounds like that's to me it sounds like that's a crutch, and it's really a crutch mm-hmm. that's showing that you have um, broken communication between yeah. you and your stakeholders. I've I'm going to tentatively agree with you. Uh, I think it's a crutch, and I think the leg is broken, and so a crutch is a good idea. But I do agree with you that if there was anything better, um, the you know the the field is open. Yeah, well, uh, I, I, just, I will concede that. I just feel like if I spent more time, if I spent more time improving communication between me and my stakeholder, and less time debugging cucumber specs, I would gain more. I completely agree with you. And if you don't use cucumber, you won't do the other thing. <laughs> that's, the res- that's the danger I respectfully disagree okay okay I haven't actually met you this is actually the first meeting between Aaron Patterson and myself and uh, this is uh, uh, danger zone time for both of us but uh, hopefully we're both wearing clothes but uh, <laughs> uh, but so no you, you very well may be right. Your, your reputation precedes you. The vast majority of programmers, I tend to find that they go to their laziness as their first tool, and Cucumber forces you out of that. And so I, I'm, I'm making a bad case for cum- Cucumber. I'm, I'm almost making the case that it's good because it sucks, and that's not <laughs> the case that I want to make. Um, it, it plows headlong into a pain point that needs to be addressed, and most developers don't address it. And, and you probably do, and, and good developers do. Absolutely right. Well, I think like one thing that I one thing that I did at one of my jobs is I would get somebody I would get um, the last company I worked at I would get the um, business people to actually come pair program with me, mm-hmm. and we That's didn't have awesome any idea. That's we genius. didn't have any cucumber specs. I would just walk them through our test unit ones, and we'd be like I'd be like okay, let's talk about what this test does, yeah. and we would read it together, and then it was it was actually really fun because she found 
bugs in my implementation. I'm like, yes, okay. Mm-hmm. Win. See, mm-hmm. but I feel a lot like what Aaron's saying there, that, that basically as the programmer, one of my jobs, you know, I know we're famous for our horrible social skills, but one of my jobs is to translate between their ideas and the program that makes that happen. And yeah. That's what I try to do when I'm working with my customers. Yeah. I think one of the wins one of the wins of Cucumber though is that it facilitates that facilitates that communication. So yeah. it's you know, it kinda it kinda breaks down the barrier that, you know, we so we can pair program with a business yeah. person, right? That, that that's a that's a better way of putting my, my my statement. That it breaks down that barrier to the communication, and the first thing you realize you have to do is have an argument, because you totally misunderstood each other. Absolutely true. So right. ba- basically, what you're saying is that uh, the the secondary feature of cucumber is that you can write tests with it. <laughs> Tertiary, yeah. <laughs> and the first feature is that it allows you to communicate in a very simple adventure game kind of way. It, it, it brings business people to the table. They, you show them a cucumber spec and they go, oh, that's a nice document. And you see, no, 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 this is executable code. And they say, holy crap! And they get it. They're like, I want to type. I want to type. I want to type. And that's, that is, you just, you just won the business use case right there. Um, but, yeah, there may be better tools. Until you have to debug it, and then you start crying yeah. for hours. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'm I'm going to turn the uh, discussion a little bit. I mean, we're we're starting to get into uh, stakeholder involvement, and and we really, I, I think the purpose was to talk about testing tools, and I think this was all valuable. But I I really want to get into David's question about how do you test a tool that's meant to test. Hey, not to uh, stop that question again, but can I mention one more tool that I thought of that I forgot to mention? Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, if you want to have a fun afternoon sometime, go play with Riot, R-I-O-T. It's a pretty neat little testing framework, and I've used it on a couple projects now. And the reason I think it's just cool, it, it, it's kind of a, oh, it's a little bit of a lot of different testing frameworks, but one of the things that's kind of neat about it, it it's billed as being very fast and stuff, which it is, and, and that doesn't really matter to me that much, but it kind of turns some of the typical testing concepts around a little bit. So, like, the, it, the closest thing it has to assertions are basically this block of code, and when that block of code returns true, it passes, and when it returns false, it fails. And what's neat about that is it literally makes it impossible to do multiple assertions in the same test because you only get one return value, true or false, you know. Hmm. And uh, another neat thing about it is you can kind of set things up and then then you can just run things on this object that you've set up. Um, So for any, anyways, what I think is neat about it is how much it changed how I think about testing in just a short time playing with it. So Mm -hmm. if you want to have like a fun mind-expanding experience, sit down and try to test a project with Riot sometime. It's pretty neat. Hmm. But what if you need to do two assertions? Then you you would write you would write another test. <laughs> no, what if you only do two in one test? Anybody There's else here either that's more inefficient? <laughs> you, then then you, you use your uh, return value and do, you do assertion one and and assertion two. That's right. So, you could and. 
So okay. here's the. This is a completely side topic, but one of the things that I'm getting into recently is this notion about east-facing code, like James Ladd and Shanti Allen are doing, and 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 getting into the way uh, like small talkers think about code. And what I'm finding is is that the way most of us do object-oriented programming is extremely stateful and extremely procedural. And I'm getting people from the small talk community saying, "Dude, you don't know how to do OO," and I'm saying, uh, "You need to back that up because you're saying that nobody knows how to do OO except for like two percent of the." people out there and I haven't got a definitive answer on that but it's it's I, I'm willing to listen to what James just said on account of it's it's falling into that same weird groove that these small talk OO guys are, are freaking me out with right now so it's, it's something interesting to me I've looked into that into the past a bit like you're talking about using you know less or no getters and setters and stuff like yeah. that and yeah and um, I, I've tried that in the past too and Every time I try it, I, I, I build software that way for a while, and it just ends up feeling a lot less practical to me, and I, yeah. I end up always switching back to, to my, you know, heathen yeah. ways of, of putting a few getters and setters in there and using Heathen ways, that's the right word. That's the word they use, too. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely playing with it, though, so it's interesting. Okay, right. sorry. No more tool sidetracks. Back to David's question. <laughs> it's all good. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I think what we're talking about here is we're talking about, it's, it's not just testing, testing frameworks, but it, it's testing like large frameworks that are meant to be able to do a lot of different things. I mean, who knows what you're going to be testing with that testing framework, right? It, right? It's like testing rails. I mean, where do you start? But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so I'm, I'm kind of interested in, you know, in, yeah, how do you test a tool that, you know, has that, that wide swath of what it should be capable of doing. Great. I'll, I'll start. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't know. Typically, typically, what I do is I, this is going to sound really lame, but uh, what I do is just break the problem down into smaller problems and test those smaller problems. So, I mean, that's really the only way you can deal with it, right? Like. So look you're at, saying look at the larger problem you have, break it down into something smaller, and test that particular thing. Yeah. If you if you're having problems, if you're having problems thinking about how to test this whole big thing, it means your thing is too big, right? You need to break it up, decouple some things, test. Oh, you heard it here on parts. Ruby Rogues. My thing is too big. Yes, my thing is way too big. Your thing is definitely <laughs> too big. <laughs> Yeah, for me, really testing that, no. it doesn't seem too bad. <laughs> that actually, with Tourbus, I started doing that. I started breaking down and, and, and breaking it down, breaking it down. And before I got it small enough that I could get it under test reliably, I was so close to the implementation detail that the tests were, were just insanely brittle. And so it, I, it, it really was kind of a tricky problem. It, it really made me want to go look to a tool like, like Cucumber um, and where I could say, you know, given a running Rails app, or given a Sinatra server on port 3000, and it, and then you could actually have full process, you know, acceptance level test planning at the at the highest level. Um, but yeah, as soon as you as soon as you step down smaller than that, you run into all your tests are very implementation specific at that point. I think it's interesting though that uh, we've we've had errors. We've had Aaron chime in and say, "Go, go way, way low level, way low level," and then Dave come in and say, "Yeah, and I, I'd really like to go high level." Uh, mm -hmm. I, yeah. I, I think there's a good mix there. What were you gonna say, Aaron? 
Oh, well, you don't, I mean, the thing is, you don't, you don't just stay low level. That's a problem is like you do it, you test the small bits and then you need to move up from that and make sure that those small bits work well together. Yeah. I mean, that's like back to the cucumber thing. <laughs> whenever we had, whenever we had a cucumber test fail, to me, that indicated that we had um, poor coverage in our smaller scale tests. Right. Right. Yep. Peter, so what I would do is spend, oh, so what I would do is just spend a spend a while, you know, my hours crying figuring out what the cucumber test did, and then fix that in our units, functionals, and integrations, and then move on with my life. Real programmers admit that crying is involved. <laughs> yes, always. So, but there are things that are like extremely difficult to test. For example, uh, I was working on a project a while back that was uh, it ran as a, a daemon on a system, and and uh, you know it, it forked off processes to do its work, and it communicated with signals uh, between the processes and stuff like that, and and testing that kind of stuff is so hard, you know, like forking off a process in the middle of your test unit run, you know, and then getting that process to do the right thing, but meanwhile, you know, kill it so it doesn't, like, uh, finish running tests or, you know, things like that. I mean, I found that just trying to test that, I was writing way more code than I was to actually do the application. So I guess (laughs) I'm going to kind of throw it one step further. Is it is there things it's okay not to test? Oh, that's an interesting question. And well, uh, one thing that, that comes to mind when, when you ask that question is um, Rails gives you unit tests, functional tests, and integration tests. And I, I always write as many unit tests as I feel like I need. And then I test just about everything else with an integration test. I don't actually write the functional tests because mm-hmm. unit testing skinny controllers is kind of what Dave was talking about where you're just testing implementation. Did it make this yeah. call? Did it do this? Did it set these variables? It, it, it seems kind of pointless to me. And ultimately, I want to know what it does with real data. Yeah, right. exactly yeah. the same. I do the yeah. same thing, by the way, Chuck. I, I test uh, every odd-numbered level. Um, I, I'm not kidding. I, 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 I test I test at the unit level, but I don't test my views. I test at the integration level, but I don't test my functionals. Uh-huh. So. So, yeah, I totally agree. I never test Rails views. I think that's insane. Um, it means that, you know, whenever the designer goes in there and makes a change, I have, you know, a bunch of broken tests that I just get to go change, and they did nothing for me, you know? You know what, though, James? I, I think that might be cultural, because when Rails 1 came out, it was still acceptable to have hideously fat views. And so it might have made sense back then to test your partials and to test your views. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to I chime in here a little bit, too, because, um, I mean, we're talking about not testing views and not testing controllers, but ultimately we are through our integration tests. So mm-hmm. is there anything that you don't, that, that it's okay to not have any coverage on in any way? I mean, things that are too complicated or certain types of problems or certain types of implementations that you you just don't want to test? I'll answer that. I think the answer to that question is yes. And I think programmers have a hard time admitting that sometimes. Mm-hmm. But, but, yeah, I think tests is about a risk trade-off. So you're saying, you know, I'm going to write these tests because I think it will help me write better code. Mm -hmm. But in the cases where that's not true, I think it's okay to make the trade-off. So, Mm -hmm. for example, you know, in that 
complex scenario where I'm forking processes and communicating with signals and stuff and things like, you know, order that the events happen in matters, you know, for me to write tests on that is incredibly complicated, you know? And so I have to decide, is it worth it for me to build that incredibly complicated infrastructure? And maybe there are scenarios where it is, but I think there are scenarios where it isn't. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I, I, my rule of thumb is I basically consider how much time I'm going to spend testing versus how much time the tests are going to save me down the road. Um, how many of us test our migrations um, other than by inspection? And in one case where I was writing a set of migrations that were meant to be run continuously to integrate a production server. Chuck, you worked on this. This was at Public Yes, Engines. I remember it. We were, we were continuously migrating. Crap was coming into the old server, and we had to keep the beta server current with it. So we were migrating hourly. And so I tested the hell out of those migrations. I mean, I, I had every conceivable. I, I, oh, I, I had, I had multi, multi, you know, 10, 20 megabyte fixtures that would set up just evil databases and retarded databases to try and migrate because, because it, they were, they, they occurred every two hours in, in, in the real world. Um, but when I wrote a migration to rename a column in the database that just the developers needed to run, I, th I thought, you know, I can spend 20 minutes testing this, or I can spend five minutes debugging this on everyone's workstation combined on the development team. Not worth it. I'll just, I'll just throw it out there. If it breaks, I'll debug it. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm going to have to kind of wind this down. I, I really want to stick to our, our time limit. I, I don't want this to go over an hour. Um, and we're already at 40 minutes on this recording. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to, I'm actually going to bring us into our next section. Um, and this is uh, the panel picks. And the idea behind the picks is it really could be anything. If you found a cool uh, tool that you use for coding, that's awesome. If you if you have a nice ergonomic chair that you want to tell us about, that's cool. If if there's some music, pretty cool. If there's some music that gets you in the groove, I mean, you know, what whatever it is, you know, if if you found some some book or some iPad app or anything like that, you know, whatever it is that kind of gets you excited, uh, that's what we want to hear about. And you know. Uh, just just for a couple of minutes tell us what it is and and uh and you know what your you know tell us why it's cool so so let's go ahead and start with james and then we'll we'll go around the the, the panel so whatever cool thing i'm into right now yeah just you know anything if, if you've got some cool coding tool then that's cool but it, it doesn't have to be tech related it can be anything it can be anything oh jeez. um Let's see. That's a good question. I was totally unprepared for. Um, so I've been playing a lot with uh, Tmux, which is a lot like Screen, uh, if you're mm -hmm. familiar with that. Uh, and I'm I'm finally getting to a point where I have some pretty cool Tmux skills. And and so it was one of those things where I've seen it like over and over again. And and every time I spend a little time with it, I learn it a little, and it seems intriguing. But I've actually recently taking the time to sit down and, and learn it well enough. And I find that, that the farther I go in it, the, the cooler I'm getting, or maybe it's just the cooler I think I'm getting or something. But anyways, I, I do things now, like I fire up Tmux sessions, and then I split the window a bunch of times, and I'll have my Rails server going to one, and you know a, a script console going to one, and a bunch of things. And then I'll end up switching to something else, so I just 
you know, uh, detach from that session and I can create another session and do that or attach to different ones or I'll end up weaving all together. So I'll just detach and leave it in the background. And when I come back, I can uh, reattach to it or um, move windows around. I've learned how to like split windows out into their own panes and things like that. So as my focus changes, I can shift things around in my terminal. And I, I've found that I don't know. It it makes me feel like I'm in more control of all this data that I'm keeping track of as I'm messing with an app. So uh, it's it's, it's uh, making me think about things in new ways, and I'm enjoying that. Oh, I have to plug. I have to plug Tmux too. It's awesome. I work I work remotely, and so I need to do like remote pair programming, and we use Tmux for that, and it's just is great. So, so I, I want to chime in here. If I hadn't worked at a company where they were using Screen, I wouldn't know what you guys are talking about. Do you want to just briefly tell people what Tmux is or what Screen is so they get a better idea? Sure. It's a um, uh, terminal window manager, for lack of a, a better way to describe it. So in your terminal, basically, if you run Screen, uh, that comes on Mac OS X. Tmux, you have to install. If you use Homebrew, it's just uh, brew install Tmux, T-M-U-X. But um, it, it's a terminal window manager, so it's kind of weird when you're first getting into it because you like run screen and it, it like looks like it refreshes your terminal and nothing else happened. So it's almost like it just put a layer of indirection between you and your terminal, which is actually basically what it's, it does. It's exactly then, what it did, yeah. Right, and then you can um, and then you can do things like have tabs in screen which are basically these virtual you know uh windows that you can switch back and forth with easy keyboard shortcuts and the keyboard shortcuts are all kind of designed around one key so they're they're useful it, it, it doesn't take too long to get the hang of them and then you can do things like split the screen horizontally and vertically and 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 like i said as you get more advanced you can actually move screens around so you can take you know this pane that you would drone over here for a little bit, but then you figure out, oh, I'm going to be working in the console all day finding this problem. So then you can split that pane out into its own window and let it take it take up the its own space and kind of promote it. I also have shortcuts where I can hit a keyboard shortcut and type in a term, and it'll search the man pages for it and pop that up in a separate window. And then when I'm done... I quit out of that man page like you normally would, but because I put that in a separate window and that was the running process in it, as I quit that, it's just done and I go back to my normal windows where I were, where I was, and I, I have other programs like that, like top if I'm looking at uh, processes or um, SSH if I need to connect into a server, uh, things like that. So you can kind of put them in these temporary window context and then when you leave them that's just over and you don't have the underlying shell still sitting there waiting to hear from you and uh, it, and then the other thing that's amazing about it is being able to detach mm -hmm. so like if you go onto a server and you're going to do some long running job I just go onto the server fire up Tmux, launch the rake process detach and disconnect from the server then whenever I want to check in on it, I just reconnect and reattach to the session. And it's like my screen is right where it would be. So like if that job is printing output as it goes, it's, you know, there I see the output and, and where it's at and things like that. So it, it basically gives you just a, a really amazing level of control over 
with the processes you're interacting with. That that is really really cool. The the real value of that last bit of being able to detach is really shines if you're on a flaky connection where detaching oh, yeah. might be something that happens to you rather than something you choose to do. Exactly. It's basically like you never get screwed. It's mm-hmm. if your connection goes big deal, you just wait till it's back, then you log in, you reattach, and you're good. Yeah. That that's awesome. Yeah. All right, well, I'm going to chime in next with my pick. Um, and, and this isn't a coding thing, but it's something that I've been... Uh, I actually bought and tried out this week, and it, it worked awesome. Um, yesterday, I had an interview uh, over Skype with uh, Tom Preston Werner from GitHub.com. He's one of the co-founders over there. And I bought this program. I actually recommended it to Dave, sight unseen, and said you might want to try this for his pod calls. It's called Ecamm Call Recorder. Mm-hmm. And it is awesome it is so cool and so i recorded the whole interview with the call recorder and uh, then turned around and opened it up and it it put me on the left and him on the right and so you can see us both talking and moving and oh it it was really cool so Mm -hmm. uh, i i just wanted to kind of throw that out there as something if you're looking at recording skype calls uh, not even for a podcast but just for something else if you if you like having that that video recording of you know whatever people are doing in the room um it it it's really really cool. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's let's go ahead and uh, ask Aaron. Aaron, do you have something cool you want to share with us? Minecraft. Minecraft. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean Minecraft. Is that a game? <laughs> yes. Have you not heard of this? Uh, I think I've heard of it, but I never played it. Uh, yeah, don't play it, because you can't stop. <laughs> Give us the spiel, Aaron. Give us the 20-minute, you know, tell us about your addiction. Uh, it's basically, like, it's everything that I love about, or I used to love about Legos, but now that I'm an adult, I don't want to clean stuff up, so <laughs> I just do it on my computer. I don't have to clean anything up. <laughs> That's awesome. I can, do, I can just see Aaron. Hi, I'm Aaron, and I've been using Minecraft for two years. <laughs> Hi, Aaron. <laughs> so, so what is it like Legos, or is is there more to it than that? Uh, well, it's basically like Legos, except there's other stuff that happens in the world. Like sometimes there's bad guys, but I'm a very like I'm a very scaredy cat so i shut off bad guys <laughs> i am with you i am with you i turn off the baddies too <laughs> i just play without bad guys because then you just like build stuff and you can grow like currently i have a cactus farm i've been farming cactus and uh i don't know it's just it's super fun farmville for lego maniacs yeah, basi- basically. Oh, but there's no there's no achievements. So the only thing you really play for is just for the sake of mm-hmm. building things, yep. right? And then you bring your friends in and show them what you created. Exactly. Yes, it's or like not. It, it, it's <laughs> so, kind of like it's kind of like the newer version of building train sets at home. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't and you don't need a garage for it or anything. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> that's awesome. So is it a is it a desktop game or an online game or? Uh, it's a desktop desktop game written in Java actually, and I have heard that um, you can hack it with JRuby, so that you can mod it with JRuby supposedly. So that is awesome, but I haven't tried it yet because. I am too busy farming 
Cactus. <laughs> Not mushrooms? No, well, I have mushrooms too, but you can't farm the mushrooms. Or at least uh, I haven't looked up how to do that. You can find mushrooms, but you can't farm them. Uh, yeah, but he can identify every single one. That's true. I can, it's true. But I feel like I should I feel like I should recommend something other than um other than a game. No, uh, that's great. No way. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. That's awesome. Yeah, I was going to recommend Portal 2, but thanks for screwing that one up for me. <laughs> uh, I didn't know, so I didn't know what Portal 2 was until Eric showed me showed me some videos of it, and now I really want it. But I guess like my PlayStation doesn't work now or something. I don't it, know. It works on the Mac too. Yeah, oh. it's on Steam. Yeah. Just don't Steam. Just don't try and play it over the PlayStation Network. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, I'm not really a computer like. To be honest, I'm not really a computer game player. Like the, I got Minecraft, and that is the only computer game I've played since, as far as I can remember. Except for except for when I was a Linux user, this game called Crack Attack. I, uh, that was super addictive. Basically, has anybody have any of you guys played? Um, oh. What is that Mario game with the pills that you like? Oh, Doctor Mario. Doctor Mario. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's basically Doctor Mario except uh, an OpenGL implementation of it, and uh, I was super addicted to that game. It was terrible. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Well, let let's go ahead and uh, give Dave a chance. Is, are you talking about Portal Two or something else? No, I, 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 I we, we've already had one game, so I've got two things that are bouncing around on my cranium, and one of them is Portal 2, uh, which is just freaking amazing. Uh, just go to YouTube and look for Portal 2 official, and just like find the official trader trailers for it. Um, they're 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 crazy. They're hilarious. Um, so the other thing that's bouncing around in my head right now is uh, I'm always doing crazy, you know, out out of left field stuff, and right now um, I'm going through a second reading of Learned Optimism by. Uh, Martin Seligman. It's a book uh, about optimism and about uh, the kind of the stories that you tell yourself when things happen. And uh, it's it's just astonishing how how easy it is when something goes wrong to say you're a bad person or this always happens or this happens in every area of my life. And yet people who are optimistic will just kind of say, oh, that just happened once or it's just in this one area or um, it was just this thing I did. It wasn't part of who I am. And what's really, really interesting is that people who are inherently optimistic will do that, uh, will do the minimization whenever something bad happens, but they'll say, when something good happens, they'll say, oh, I'm, I'm awesome, and this happens everywhere in my life, and it happens all the time, and pessimists do it exactly the opposite, and it is everything you need to manufacture um, a depressive state in your, in your body and in your mind, and what this has to do with coding uh, it's it's very pervasive it, it either applies to everything or it doesn't have anything to do with it at all depending on your view I guess um, but I am a, a naturally very po- simultaneously very optimistic and very pessimistic when when things go wrong I blame myself when things go right I, I give myself credit um, but when those two things fight with each other they short circuit themselves and so th- this is a fantastic book that I'm reading right now it's called Learned Optimism by uh, Martin Seligman and if if you are uh, prone to uh, negativity or prone to feeling bad for any any long period of, of time, you definitely need this book because he will show you literally how to hack your brain to stop being so negative and stop feeling miserable. So that's what's that's what's interesting and new for me. Nice. 
It sounds like an interesting book. Both you and Brandon Hayes recommended it to me, mm-hmm. and I was highly disappointed to find that there's no Kindle version for it, but I'll have to yep. pick it up anyway. Be more yep. optimistic. Yep. <laughs> yep. Just as long as you're not telling yourself, I couldn't get the book because I'm a bad person. <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm a bad person, so I couldn't get the book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, All right, Peter, do you have a pick for us? I'm going to do a few things, but really, really shallow. So, um, okay. yeah, quick fire list. Um, I really want to sort of pimp Railscast to Ryan Bates. Excellent stuff. Always love all of those. Always learn something new, even if it's something really simple that he's showing you how to use it. It's just great to see what he does. Um, just love that. So digestible, so good. Um, yeah, another thing I really like is Spotify. And I know you probably can't get this in the US. Um, you've kind of got Pandora and radio and a few things like that. It's basically a, a system where you can pay like, I think I pay like 10 bucks a month and I get access to like a back catalog of like hundreds of thousands of albums, can play them whenever I like in this kind of iTunes style client. Um, I haven't bought music since, so um, that has been great. Saved me tons of money and I can listen. Like if I want to listen to the whole of the Genesis back catalog, I can just go click on it now, bam, listen to the whole thing. Um, so that's come in really handy for like discovering new bands and new music to code to and stuff like that mm. and then I have two books the um, first one is Eloquent Ruby by Russ Olson yes um, which is awesome it's just like 30 chapters they're about 7-8 pages each and it just picks like on a single thing like how to build a DSL using you know method missing or you know um, something to do with testing or just it picks one thing digs into it shows you an example and you know goes from there um, really enjoyed that and had lots of you know positive feedback on that that from people on Twitter and that. And the one that perhaps you, you may or may not have heard of is a book called The Linux Programming Interface by Michael Kerisk. It came out a few months ago um, on, who was it, No Starch published it. Um, it's a beautiful book. It's like, I think about 1,200 pages, really heavy. Um, but he kind of does the same thing as Eloquent Ruby, but for the whole kind of systems programming side of Linux. So I think there's something like about 70 or 80 chapters in there, and they're all sort of like 10, 20 pages each. And, you know, literally you have a page about how a process is launched in Unix, uh, you know, how a message queue, a POSIX message queue works, you know, how um, a socket works. And it's kind of like mm-hmm. a, a really small how-to on every single element of, you know, the, the behind-the-scenes things that are going on in Linux and Unix more generally. Um, and I've just really enjoyed picking through that chapter by chapter, learning the ins and outs of, you know, um, each part of Unix. And even if I don't use it, it's, it's good to know, you know, what does happen when you create a, a daemon process and all that kind of stuff so really enjoyed that it's like a hundred bucks and i actually did put down the money for this i didn't get a free sample or something and yeah just loving it so far that's cool. uh, so that's I, yeah, that's my picks i was gonna say i think you just spent about 150 bucks on my money that's right i think i'm sitting over here writing it all down like holy cow that sounds amazing yeah i've actually been uh, writing down any anything that uh is linkable that that has been mentioned for the last half of the podcast and uh, so hopefully we get most of this linked up in the show notes and uh, show notes, yeah, yeah. So uh, lots of good stuff. Uh, I I want to. We need to wrap this up because I really do want to keep this to an hour, and so we've got about four minutes left. But I want to thank everybody for coming on to the the show. And uh, next week the the plan is to talk about some of the the Ruby VMs out there and a kind of the direction that Ruby can take in the future. Mm. And this is something that was recommended by Aaron. And uh, I'm really curious to see where that goes and, and see what everyone's experience is with, with some of that stuff. So, um, anyway. We'll do our homework. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. But, uh, yeah, so uh, check in next week and, and we'll get that up. Um, I'm hoping to have uh, the, 
the site up this afternoon and uh, get the get the feed submitted to iTunes so we can get out there and, and have people listening to this. But as soon as it up, it's up, I'll let you guys know so you can tell people where to go to, to listen and download at the very least. Awesome. Cool.